0: the calculation that we all have to engage in and say like okay what what exactly this action that i'm about to take will compromise my moral well-being
1: welcome back to miss radio guys this is your host gabe sanders I am stoked to bring you this second season of Miss Radio because we've got even more cool people on board to offer an even wider array of perspectives. With all these perspectives, guys, the more we can integrate and appreciate the diversity that we bring to this school, the stronger we're all going to be for it, the more effective our work is going to be once we leave this school and enter the professional world. To start this year off, I'm interviewing Dean DePalos yes, Dean DePowles, not just Professor DePowles of Policy and Data Analysis fame. He now holds a steering position at this school, and he wants to see change at this institute. He wants to see some integration. He and I share that desire, and I look forward to you hearing this conversation that we had at the beginning of September about the influence that this institute has on our careers, on our values, and how those values figure into every decision we're going to have to make as professionals working Policy making. All right, enough with the preface. Here's the interview. Please enjoy. First of all, good morning, and thank you again for having a conversation with me. Sure. This is third time. No nope problem. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, we're in a quiet space. Uh, now you are <coughs> Dean DePaulus, not just DePaulus,
0: uh-huh. as most people know you. So, what's different? Well, I, I hope not much, um, it, it's um, kind of a, a very special circumstance, m- not so much for me, but for the for the institution, mm-hmm. because many people heard me, you know, for a year, in a very strong uh, opposition, even the idea of having deans mm-hmm. at, at the institute. And and so when people, I, I tried to actually get into a uh, preemptive strike, and, and I've been, you know, very uh, forthcoming in saying, yeah, I understand that you guys, you know, when talking to a public audience, that, that you may be wondering, you know, how I reconcile that, you know, very strong and vocal position for a long time, uh, and now having the job. And I say, well, I, I don't reconcile them, I, I see this as a, you know, a profound, conflict, not a personal conflict, but an institutional conflict, sure. and I'm still very much of the same idea. Can you, I,
1: can you summarize that position that you used to have, when or that you still have, really? Yes, yeah.
0: when when the Institute decided to um, initiate the process of in, in the international search for the GSIPM Dean and the G-Style Dean, I met with with Well, in every single forum that I participated, but uh, I talked to officers of of the university, the provost, the vice presidents, different vice presidents saying, you know what, this this could be an extraordinary opportunity to change the structure of the institute and not have that layer of, you know. I used to use the word school. I don't use the word school anymore. Right. and And getting to the next uh iteration in the evolution of mm-hmm. the institution and this is a long held position by me in two thousand and seven. there was a four or five months long process for the i don't know what the level of detail was, but it, you know what I call finalizing the acquisition. Of the Monterey Institute by Middlebury College, the, those were the names of the organizations back then, and and at that time, the, the structure went from four schools to two. And throughout that process, I was very much against having any schools. I would say, like, okay, well, this is the opportunity to have no schools. I have so one one big entity.
1: I'm guessing your problem isn't simply with the term school, but rather what. It means to be in a school for a student. What what about that? Seems problematic to you.
0: I. It, it's not that. Okay. The the problem with the school uh, attribution or, or name is that. By having this separate school, we're sort of against the ethos of the institute, which is integrating the policy Mm -hmm. and management thing, and the language and communication and and cultural competency, and say, okay, we're so committed to this thing that we have it in two different places that don't articulate themselves, so uh, on the conceptual side, Mm -hmm. it's kind of uh, a rather profound contradiction between what we tell people we think we are, regardless of what we really are, and and how we run the business of, of the institute. Wow. So that's a conceptual problem right there. And m- many of my colleagues here that have been in large universities and myself have been in, in departments that are twice or three times as big as the entire institute in terms of number of students, number of faculty, and, and say, okay, you know what? And in a place this size, we don't need that many layers at that right. level, at, at the top level. So it. And that was sort of based on those two things, um, and probably since 2007, when I was sort of forced to think about this, because that was the task, or one of the many tasks of that uh, task force that was the, the actual denomination of that group, was charged with, was to think, okay, how we going to explain to Middlebury College what this place is, and what could become so they make a final decision on full acquisition from just kind of a very thin layer of uh, affiliation that that existed at the time and and that's when when i developed these more detailed ideas about okay well this is what we say we are and how we run the business are two different things and i've been very much into that thing So this isn't the first time Fernando and
1: I have sat down to talk and recorded our conversation, but it is the first time I feel like I can release something to you that accurately represents who Fernando is. Uh, Not just on a personal level, you've all probably at least met him or had him for a class or two, but this is also him on a philosophical level. Uh, Before we get to that, or more of that, I want you to get to know him through the eyes of a friend, his good friend and colleague, Bob McCleary. We went to Alvarado Street Brewery last semester and had a great conversation. I'm going to let them take it away from here uh, because it's better told through Bob's eyes and Fernando's as well. All right, please enjoy. I've asked you guys here to tell your story about how you met, how you both ended up here. Fernando told me a little bit about how he ended up here and how he has you to thank for that. Uh, We all have you to thank for that. Um, so, but where did the friendship start?
2: When did you first start working together, playing together? I don't know how it began. So I was in, at Stanford as a graduate student. And another graduate student at Stanford, who was actually a University of Chicago student, who would come to Stanford to work with the professor I was working with, Clark Reynolds, on U.S.-Mexico economic relations, uh, was named Raulín Rosa Ojeda. He then became a professor at UCLA. Fernando is a graduate student at UCLA in the Department of Urban and Urban what planning. studies? Urban Planning. Urban in the School of Policy, the right. Department of Urban Planning. So I was still working with Raul, but of course Fernando yeah. was doing the real work and Raul was putting his name on the paper right. so that, that doesn't necessarily so go in the…
1: That sounds
2: like a familiar <laughs> arrangement. <laughs> yeah. Well, he works on raising money which is a good thing. Yeah. So I was at Claremont McKenna College working with Raul and Really Fernando at on, UCLA. On what? On a variety of things. Uh, we started working on computable general equilibrium modeling. Of out out of,
0: the, right at the moment of the Asian financial crisis. Okay.
1: That took place in 1997 when the Thai currency broke its peg with the dollar and domino effect happened. Regional growth slowed by 7%. All right.
3: Back to the conversation. My second year here, I'm meeting with Professors Leeson and Professor Eliasson, who you've seen a picture
2: yep. of, but you've never met, obviously. Probably not. No. Well, she passed away. Then definitely not. Definitely not. In a, a search for someone to teach data analysis. Because we had several people that knew how to teach data analysis, but nobody liked to teach data
3: analysis. And then you like that me. they didn't even. So, could teach data And also because I, I told him that i having a heart attack recently. Oh, jeez. I mean,
0: they, uh, Leslie Elias came in part to replace Ed that was moving to other things, and, and she wanted to move into something else, and Ed couldn't be a replacement because he himself was sort of.
2: So coming out of a meeting in which we looked at a bunch of dismal candidates, I went back to my office and got an email from Fernando saying, could you write me a letter of recommendation? I'm applying for a job at Iowa State. Oh, jeez. So I got two sentences into the letter of recommendation, picked up the phone and said, no, you don't want to go to Iowa State. You want to come here. That's
1: a true friend.
2: There,
1: yeah.
0: Definitely.
1: That sounds I like it's you solidified. From Island
2: and bring yeah. you to Monterey. Land of thing. It'll only cost you a fifteen percent reduction or in salary. <laughs> well, I have a fifteen percent reduction in salary, you get Monterey in return. Not a bad trade-off. Yeah, but I'll take
3: reason.
2: it. Yeah. Unfortunately, I said fifty. <laughs>
1: Now that we've got the background, thanks to Bob McCleary, it's time to return to my interview with Fernando about his new role at MISS as the Dean of the GSIPM School. Alright, here we go. So a phrase that's been kind of echoing in my head for the last few months, and really kind of since we started this MISS radio thing, is destroy the silos there seem to be silos of information, of knowledge, of processes, uh, here on campus in a certain sense might just be students the way we group together in our different subjects and our cohorts, but when you talk about integrating the school without having sort of, well, in- integrating the institute so that it no longer feels like there are separate schools, What? What does that look like to you? Because 'cause you're in a position now to shape things. hmm So you're in a position that you'd effectively like to see either less emphasized or even eliminated. Potentially. Right. Um so what is, what is this next year,
0: these next three years, really oh, look like? Uh like very intense, that for sure, because they the middlebury enterprise have, uh started a, a very uh, sort of aggressive process that that is, that they call workforce planning hmm. on on examining you know how we do things really and but this is mostly a business issue right and sort of how we run the institution w- where the efficiencies or inefficiencies are mostly located how can we get um, sort of realize those uh, efficiencies that that could be further exploited how we align with our natural competitors in terms of you know how much they spend in each of the main business areas compared to how much we spend so this, this is kind of a purely business thing this could be you know a a, a supermarket chain or or a department store or a Automaker or, or a high tech company, it, it wouldn't really matter if, if with that type of decisions uh, on the running the business side oh. of it, right? So, which is something that companies do all the time right. a- and and large NGOs as well. I mean, uh, so you're searching for
3: yeah, inefficiencies it's, it's, in yeah, the it's, system. it's, you
0: know, kind of. Uh, Keeping the cost and and the control, mm-hmm. uh, which in a way is kind of a benefit that we can pass on to students, because if we we operate at a lower, you know, cost, we we can pass on uh, the savings, or at least reduce the rate of increase of tuition and sure. fees and things like that over time, which which is a, a natural thing happening in yeah. every university. So if we become more efficient, we we can contain that, and and it's something that we can advertise and say, okay, we we're trying to a, a, you know ex, stretch your dollars a, right. as far as we can because we we try to be very efficient and 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 very um very much you know focus on on running the business yeah. um in the best way we can um so it's not just the financial vitality of the institution which is obviously mm-hmm. something that any company or organization you know aspires to uh but also something that that I think is important to, to our fundamental mission, which is educating uh, professionals. Yeah. I
1: mean, we are the deliverables uh, in, in this, this
0: case. Y- uh, yeah, I'm trying to be a little less, you know. I, I know, the that we're it. learning right but now. But it but um But, but making the, the sort of the value uh, proposition sustainable over a longer period of time mm-hmm. and opening to, you know, populations that we don't usually reach uh, uh, because the, the financial uh, burden or, of attending a, a higher education institution in the United States is becoming you know right. a very expensive thing so that what's these regulations
1: what populations would you like to reach that we don 't reach yet i
0: don't know People my, my minority right them exactly I, um, I, not n- not only here but you know around the world not, okay. not everybody can. Come to Monterey and live in a very expensive location for extended period of time, and also incurring a substantial in, investment. So if we can both reduce that and promise that the education they acquire here can put them in a in a different path in terms of their lifelong earnings, then, then we are we become a better yeah you know option. Uh, so it's not a, it's not a ridiculous thing to to think that this is just kind of a business manager's obsession it, you know it it makes sense mm-hmm. i think and i don't think that there's the an organization that is poorly run, run. It, you know it's not it, right it, but it but it, it can always be better yeah right? i
1: mean i feel okay spending my tuition here i feel like i'm going to get everything out of it that i could mm-hmm. possibly get myself that's a very personal thing though. yeah a lot of people probably do question at certain times throughout the semester, whether it's because of their specific experience in a class or just their overall experience, they just aren't sure if they're ready. They aren't sure if they're prepared for the real world. Yeah,
0: I'm. I'm not exactly sure that that is just in, in here. But if you just read in the media, mm-hmm. right? I mean, it's it, it just a, a kind of a a um, popular a, a, adaptation. I would say that that. Uh, the, the American public is going through in terms of analyzing w- whether or not, you know, send their, sending their children to college is, is something that will benefit right. them. And and if you do, how much debt is, yeah. is worth acquiring in in order to achieve a, a promised that that will realize in the future of which you have almost no control today. So it is a, it's a bet, right? Instead yeah. of in saying, like, okay, I'm going to I'm going to buy this car because it's a car that lasts very long be- before repairs that need or something. But yeah, but this guy is a little more expensive than the other cars that are going to break in But it's pipe. going to get me further. But, but, that is, but you're betting that your car, that the unit that you actually will acquire, it, it have the, the same attributes and, than the average of that brand that that everybody's driving and they last you know, very yeah. long or whatever. So you buy a Subaru or whatever, and then your Subaru have it problem that that is not the average uh performance of all the models in that right. brand so it, it, so even within that right is because, that realistic you think um that, can we each become a unique little subaru and no no but or, absolutely you we, we already are right because yeah. the our experiences will in a way define our preferences and that will define our careers and our uh uh, you know, attitudes and aptitudes and the type of companies that we're willing to work for and the type of companies that we're not willing to work for and, you know, how much, how much of that. So, it, 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 it yeah. can't really, uh, it cannot be really commoditized to that uh, extreme, right? So, yeah. it, it's, it's something that, uh, and the more we communicate our values, our the Middlebury and enterprise and the institute's values, and we better explain how our um, professional education will help people achieve those type of things that they already want to achieve that that is it, I, I think that that is our business and i think we yes. do it quite well because we we attract a very particular type of people yes that have a very you know a very profound social conscious and 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 they have a commitment for certain type of uh values uh and and that is probably the most extraordinary thing about especially the institute because of long tradition in that line but but we need to make sure that that we can deliver that so that that business side cannot be overlooked and and also kind of an example 99.5 percent of our students will be running some sort of business of, of many different kinds, right? Even you are a, a NGO manager mm-hmm. or a soon to the middle upper uh, public sector manager. Mm-hmm. So, and, and, you know, having a demonstration example of how the school that they attended was run, it, it's probably a good thing, right? Yeah. So keeping
1: in mind those values you mentioned like the institutional values as well as the kind of shared values of the people that are attracted to this place. You mentioned, like, social awareness, conscientiousness. Mm-hmm. And when we leave this school, we've, we'll each have one, one or two master's degrees with the breadth of knowledge granted by that degree. Uh, but when you talk about where we end up, we'll be specialized. We'll end up in management. We'll end up... St- public or private sector, but when I think about the sort of the structures that are out there now, these are structures that we're being taught to look at critically
3: mm-hmm.
1: and taught to be critical of, even if we're in them. Mm-hmm. But what's th- there? there have been thoughts kind of circulating in the, you know, the uneasy... Portions of our academic and philosophical communities, the people that talk about the meta conversation about policy, mm-hmm. um, are we being prepared for actually changing these structures? Or are we being prepared to be changed by these structures
0: that we're going into? I think that we are preparing people very well so they can understand the role of that organization that they are about to join. And we're also, both by example, but also by, you know, intellectual development, we are helping to consolidate the moral stance that they have. And and then it will be up to them the right. choices that they make in terms of the whatever revolution from within a revolution from without, um, um, just acceptance of what's going on because uh, this matches exactly what I want to do. So I don't need to change anything, uh, or, or any other thing in between or beyond those alternatives. So I, I don't think that uh, as I always only partially joke and say like, you know, I I teach a, a seminar, but this is not a seminary we don't indoctrinate people. We help them become even further aware of their own value. And obviously I'm not going to negate that we have our own values. We don't train people to be, you know, prison guards or or concentration extermination camp managers. We know know who we are and what we do and and what we want our graduates to be. But, but beyond that in, in a world that has been changing more rapidly in the last whatever couple decades than the previous generation. Uh, even even your parents might have ex- experienced these you know changing careers throughout, m- m- but not your grandparents. That was the generation of the guys coming out of school, yeah. getting a job at GM, working for 45 years, retiring with a pension and call it quits.
1: There is no reason to look for change in their case. It, it well, that like...
0: was the change compared to the generation of well, your great-grandparents yeah. that, ex- that lived through the depression where it was more like now, kind of the, yeah. the gig economy, although it didn't have that name, and sort of the, the role of huge corporations that back then were the railroads and the, and mm-hmm. the steel uh, industry and things okay. like that. So it, 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 it comes and goes and instead sort of that period was doing sort of the for model was the revolution Mm -hmm. to you know against what happened between the war and before the first world war so so that was a moment of change instead of that stability that we kind of still witnessed. Mm -hmm. and the way uh, the way of life at least in in the United States is the result of what that revolution brought up and and now we are in another one where we are revisiting the, the structures but not just now, we've been for, whatever, 50 years. Yeah. We've been seeing the structures that emerged after World War II. And, and that acceleration, in, for example, in the technological component, is also helping or forcing us to, to define our values so our choices are consistent with our values. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that we are preparing people very well for that. But I don't know what that, that looks like. Right. because I shouldn't know, because if I know it means that I'm looking back mm-hmm. in of in a, in a, in a retroactive way, instead of looking at this future which you know, it, it, that's the beauty of the future, you don't mm-hmm. know w- what it is.
1: I mean, I, I like to think of us here as each of us being pioneers, each of us are on sort of the cutting edge of each of our fields yes. and it's sort of, I, I personally feel an obligation to continue pushing those yes. frontiers and
0: continue questioning mm-hmm. the status quo and the structures in which we operate. And I think that that we are preparing very people very well to do that, but that wears out. It wears out when you been in it, the same company, uh, yeah. you know, for fifteen years. Inertia
1: is powerful,
0: uh, right. and and also you know it, it conformity or the small startups becomes Microsoft and Google and Amazon. They were little nimble like really agile, difficult-to-catch little, uh, you know, creatures. And now they are the IBMs and the GEs and the GMs of the 60s and 70s and Ford, right? And and now new companies will become that big and no longer being the disruptors, but they want to be disrupted. So I want to talk about that word you
1: mentioned, agile, and I also want to talk about growth. I don't think that they don't sound like they're dichotomous, but they do sound like agility stops being a quality of a company that has grown. So, first, what do you, what does agility mean to you as far as an organization goes
0: or business? Um, it, it's the it's adaptability, right? Mm-hmm. Sort of the the ability to uh, detect what what's needed and then the decision of whether or not to participate in that change. Okay. At, at some point, it becomes, the uh, companies and organizations become too too big and too unwilling to actually produce that change, so they are in a very low growth. And, and you know, whatever, you know, low-cap uh, stock companies, right? Sort of a, yeah, they grow very steady, but very slow. You're not going to make, you know, 25% out of your investment in those companies, mm-hmm. yeah, but that company is gonna be here 25 years from now. The other one that you're making you know, 25% this quarter, right. next quarter again, you have to reassess whether the company is gonna be, you know, profitable or, or if it's gonna be there to start with. So the agility, the kind of the the, the brightest stars and burns the fastest, mm-hmm. this kind of thing, and and the ones that are slightly dimmer. Burn more slowly and last longer. So they, that is kind of the, the compromise sometimes, and I think that w- that that is you know something that we have to be aware of and, and not and, and not you know confuse that the only way forward is agility, you know consistency yeah. and and stability and and efficiency and and keep innovating over time. It it also valuable.
1: So efficiency, stability, ad- adaptability. One thing I've been questioning a lot lately is the concept of growth being the end, the, the objective mm-hmm. for any company, any organization, whether it's a for-profit company or even a non-profit. Mm-hmm. Um, a non I think, is noble in pursuing its growth to reach more people, to serve more people. Um, sure. However, maybe sometimes in attempting to grow it becomes less effective. But when I think about a company yeah. in the United States, even a small business, that's looking to grow so that they can ta- the owners can take home more profits or that they can reach more people with their product if they have a benevolent sort of feel to do so, but one thing that's occurring to me, looking at the world around us, is that all these major companies that did start out as small, agile companies with a vision, a dream, to help people in one way or another, if they had that in the first place. Sometimes they just were there to make a buck. Yeah. But with growth being the objective, and with companies getting so large that they can't be agile and adapt anymore, is growth a viable objective for...
0: I mean, because capitalism says growth is... Necessary, yeah. The, and no, with a growing human population, it's not an no option, really. I mean, um, the only way out is up. It, it, the moment that you stop growing, uh, it, you start running into, to, you know, sustainability problems. Yeah. I mean, in the, now, where the, that growth is coming from, it, it changes over time. Uh, and what kind uh, of growth are you looking at? I mean, the, well, that.
1: Let's put it in the context of the Institute, maybe. Like growth right. here. What would
0: growth be here at the Institute? Well, there's just so much that we can grow here physically before we jump sure. into the restrictions that the city of Monterey yeah. had given. So, so, so this cannot be a sense. campus of 10,000, right? So okay. we cannot be that because we cannot, we don't fit. So you here. want to grow our output. And parameters. then, but, but the thing is that um, we can reach. Audiences that don't need to be in Monterey. That's like what you mentioned earlier: reaching people, populations right, that, that didn't have access. One, that's one thing, and it's not necessarily because they cannot afford to to be part of our community. It's just because they don't want to, right? It yeah, never let, occurred to them. Let's say that that a guy that is a you know um, a, a manager, a, Apple or middle level you know m- manager. Uh, in a company that, that you know, uh, consulting services or something, and, and then there's some decision in the company to have a, a shift in the thing, and then it doesn't matter. The guy may have an MBA, and he may need a short-term update in a, in an area that that company's moving into. Mm-hmm. And if he's thinking maybe some sort of a, uh, you know, compliance, or, you know, things that, that change substantially, you know, in kind of short period of time, we can provide that service and say, okay, you know what, yeah, we have this three-month or six-month thing mm-hmm. that you, know, you come here for a long weekend, we establish the game, and, and then we have all these things online or in some other format, and, and then you come back at the end of the thing again for a long weekend, and and off you go to keep going the way you were coming before you encounter us and and keep working for the same company doing this thing that now the company is moving into. But now we're going to tell that, you know, whatever 42 year old guy with, Mm -hmm. you know, 15 years of experience and, and, you know, a master degree in what he, what his profession is and say no, no, you have to come to Monterey for two years, put your life professional and personal Mm -hmm. on hold and, uh, and then you're gonna be okay the guy's gonna say uh you guys are out of your mind first uh, i don't have that time and say like i'm really happy with the life i have i just need that little thing okay and also can you give me the certainty that when i go back two years from now they think gonna be there or it's gonna be there for me so people you know they may not want to do that. It doesn't matter. Yeah. The guy may be making, you know, $275,000 a year, which is not a ridiculous uh, salary in that type of thing. Yeah. So it's not that the guy cannot pay for what we sell. It's just that it's not what he wants to do. So well, that yeah. audience, what we, we, there are lots of people, that for that is one minuscule example, but we can't, re- that person doesn't need to be in Monterey for 18 months right or, or sure. whatever so I, i'm not exactly sure we're reaching them for certain things right some some custom language services and things like that but i i don't see any a structural reason for us not to reach those that kind of enhanced customer base
1: so if, if we were able to offer something to people like that people who would be sort of on the periphery of the institute but still accessing some very deep knowledge that we have the mm-hmm. expertise of our professors, of our um, of our And the network, teachers. right, because he's going to meet other, yeah. other
0: guys that are probably working in similar companies that he doesn't have a, 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 an option to meet them because they are wherever in Europe and these guys in Silicon Valley and, you know, he might have heard of these people but never have the chance. If we put them in teams to work mm-hmm. remotely, he's he going to, you know, the, those networks will intersect. So these are networks
1: not only of contact, of people you can call up and say, hey, I've got a problem with this and I need your advice. That That's great. And I believe yes. those be invaluable that resources. all the time
0: among our graduates. So... No, but this is also... It, yeah. the, the network that they... The power of the network will irradiate mm-hmm. out. Absolutely. right? Because if these guys are working on a particular area, they may become enough of, you know a group of influencers, and the thing is that it can go either way, right? It can be for good or evil. We cannot right. control that. But, you know, but the, let's say that because we, even in that short period of time, we can, you know, extend the the level of our values, and these people are just like us, and they're interested in the same thing. So then we we, the institute community, will be able to have an added layer of influence because these guys will be operating in that part of the world Mm -hmm. with similar values to ours. And and without the need of them being, you know, here for two years and, you know, and walk through the stage with a gown and cap and get the certificate. Mm -hmm. It's a different type of community and I don't see why you know, out of the, I don't know how many real, you know, physical bodies we can have here probably not much beyond 800 or 850, we may have 5,000 at any given time that sure. are doing these various things. So the the you know that, but it's not just growth in the numbers. It's also growth in in the idea of what the institute stands for and sure. what kind of what is our mission that is different now than it was in 1955 or 85 or even 2005. When the conversation with middlebury started so the world have changed significantly But well, growth means adaptation to that new world and that new world may not be able to absorb the you know putting your life on hold the lane or getting out of the labor force so, so you go to a graduate level institution for two years that that thing is, is kind of dwindling down mm-hmm. not just for us for for the industry as a whole because if they people, especially in an economy that is kind of on the overheating side in terms mm-hmm. of, of labor, um, is it, it, not really capable of, of doing that. So we're probably going to have to reach them where they are instead of asking them to come here to spend two, two years with sure. us. And also, if they are happy with that short experience, they you know two years after that, they may come back for another short one, right? Because they know that we are a high value proposition. Whatever amount of money they're paying they're, they're recovering very quickly and and help them in other ways and they pass on the the advice to their the people that they're mentoring in their company when they become senior uh, you know executives or or senior analysts and say, "Oh yeah, well, I did this thing you know three years ago, or whatever right. with these guys in california and, and it was extraordinary, so you may want to look into that or whatever so that if we are capable of consolidating our value, that will continue. And that is a form of growth. Yeah, of course, we went from 800 to 5,000 people, whatever the number is. But it's not just the numeric growth. It's the kind of the visibility of the institution and the characterization of the place as the place to do that kind of thing.
1: Well, I think this takes you back to that idea of integration. You're trying to get we're, we, this school is an international institute so we, we pull in people from all over the world uh, and we study places and concepts and events from all over the world and we each end up depending on our program you know if you're an IPD student you'll study development in parts of the world that are have been targets for the last you know 30 or 40 years for Peace Corps for the World Bank or the IFC, places that need support, apparently. Um, and then you have people studying NPTS, looking at those same parts of the world, but through a totally different lens. And then you might have business leaders who are looking at that world through a totally different lens. as a, They're looking at numbers. They're, they might be looking at people. Hopefully, they are. NPTS grads are looking at threats. Hopefully, they're also looking at people. We're looking sometimes in our development practice classes, we're looking at indicators. We're looking at outcomes. And hopefully, we're looking at people. But this integration concept is one that I think is really important because if we're not, while we're here, studying, and if we don't pull in a business leader who's in his 40s, already kind of set in his career path, and if we don't pull him in or her and offer them (coughs) all of these lenses at once, then they're going to come in and leave without really changing their perspective, maybe, necessarily. Mm-hmm. They, they, if they have some great professors that really change the way they think, that's great. But at the same time, we're looking through so many lenses here, but not everybody's seeing through all of them at once. And obviously that's no, not possible. That,
0: and it may not be necessary or even desired. So that's a question.
1: Do you think that is necessary? Do you think specialization needs to put up some blinders uh, for uh, a student or a professional?
0: I'm not of the idea that the specialization, the, it, the the analog for a specialization is blinders. Mm-hmm. It um, this is going to be a horrible example, but you know, um, That's all right. a, a sniper knows what's going on 360 degrees around him, except that he's going to take a shot at 200 yards. On a very narrow channel yeah. of action, right? But he better be aware of what's going on 360 degrees sure. around him because otherwise he's not going to be able to do his job. Th- that is a specialization versus awareness and situational awareness. You say. No, i not. Yeah, um, it's not. So that's not. I'm sorry. No worries. Um, but th- yeah, this is so a the, the, really the, the specialization this. thing. Is a is, is a is a way of capturing everything that you are about and everything that you know and put it there instead of if you are if you are capturing the energy around you and you are concentrated in this very narrow beam. The more you capture around you, the higher the energy Mm -hmm. of the beam and more impactful and more long-reaching will be. So the specialization without the awareness, it it cannot a useless thing, but but close. Mm -hmm. Because the impactfulness of your actions will be limited by the scope of your understanding of what's going on around that action that you are about to
1: take. All so, the peripheral kind of influence, right? So are, all the
0: all the element yeah. that condition or enable that action to be impactful and effective and uh, in, in in the long run or or whatever the, the circumstance for that type of work might be, but so the, there's no such a thing as, as sort of a kind of a hollow specialization because you're specializing in doing what exactly if you don't understand the all the thing all the things that mm-hmm. feeds into that narrow channel through which you're gonna intervene so it's a it's a, it's a you know a b- b- very strange m- thing and usually the people that have that hollow or shallow level of specialization never never make it to higher levels right. of decision making they they're kind of yeah, the guy is very you know mile wide, inch deep. A, a, a inch deep, a, inch an inch wide as well. I mean, the guy <laughs> writes code. Mm-hmm. May or may not understand what that company that he's writing code for is all about, right. and what they what they plan to do with that. So it, it, you know, and that level of specialization. So it's like a like it's a one inch well. You, you, it it's doesn't falling. matter if you go 5,000 miles deep, you're going to get just so much water or whatever is coming out of that well. So mm-hmm. it, the specialization thing is the is, is is definition of the the action context, mm-hmm. but the value and the, and the um, effectiveness of that a, a specialization and that knowledge is a function of everything else that you know. If not, it doesn't really go that far. So what do you think we can do
1: here as students and what do you think, I mean you as a professor, you're teaching sustainable cities right now and that class I'm not taking it unfortunately but in terms of sustainability like does sustainability to you mean knowledge of just the practices around efficiency and energy about maintaining, you know, wildlands about making a
0: uh, is sustainability something that No, exists? that's exactly what's not that thing. Is. Okay, so what is what does sustainability mean? Yeah, to you in here? that in that context, instead of being a, an expert in the sustainability of wetlands as a as a buffer to uh, like you know, following the Hurricane Gordon right now, and mm, and see yeah. you know the 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 wetlands could provide uh, sort of a level of protection to coastal areas, and 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 you need to understand that. Yeah, but if you don't understand the social, political, and financial sustainability of what right. you are protecting, the the sustainability of the wetlands will mean. Relatively little, yeah. and and your impact will not be as effective as if you understand what are the social underlying uh, structures and the political limitations for actions that will facilitate or even start initiate the restoration and the sustainability of those wetlands. So it's, it's not just that you can be an extraordinary good manager of, of wetland uh, restoration <laughs> projects. But the question is like, okay, well, the, if, so we can achieve what? Oh no, it's just the wetlands, and it, it, it's like no. The thing is that it, you you are trying to do that, so the po- human population that is protected by those wetlands have a way of also sustaining sustaining itself. Because if we have a kind of you no know, unmitigated damage. From storms or sea level rise, or the combination of the two in in an already precarious social political environment, the damage to that human population would, would be much much higher if we don't use the wetlands as a way of mitigating the effect yeah. of natural disasters on already sociopolitically politically vulnerable places sure and it's not i try I try not to get into the 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 more sort of activist or advocacy version of uh, protecting vulnerable populations. If a place has a vulnerable population, the whole place is vulnerable. Because it, you know, mm-hmm. being the fattest rat in the sinking ship is not a tremendously yeah. sustainable prospect. It doesn't matter how fat a rat you are. The ship is going down with all the fat rats in yeah. it.
1: And you're probably going to make it sink just that much faster because
0: you're so fast. But that that also, but it, <laughs> mean, say, that's what we're looking that at is not now. a commonly accepted and, and perceived thing. A, it it looks like if you are you know, wealthy and white, you are kind of inoculated against these things. Well, only if you live in a place where there's a heck of a lot just white, wealthy people. If you live in a place where there are people of all color and all classes you are as vulnerable as the most vulnerable member sure. of that society because that's the way human societies function. And instead sort of even understanding that it will help you both understand why you need to properly manage the restoration of wetlands, but also how that itself can help restore the equity in the human population side. That, by itself, is a threat. I heard that that was a question
1: you were sort of presenting to your, your students, that question of whether equity uh, needs to come before sustainability or whether sustainability can mm-hmm. precede and even affect equity. Right. So it sounds like you believe it goes kind of both ways. In a yes, definitely. there's
0: of that. On the sort of on the analytical side, there's some simultaneity there there both things are cause and consequence. Um, which is not that different from the first topic that we talk about, you know, how, how the changes in the institute will make us, you know, able uh, or to serve the populations that we want to serve even better. So do we have to transform ourselves to do that, which is a sort of the driving force and the mission of this mm-hmm. organization? Or by reformulating the mission, we're going to be able to do some other things. So so they're they're both, right? The mission and the vision are usually uh, imbued by the values, and then all your actions follow Mm -hmm. from your values. Absolutely. And and this other thing that we were talking about in sustainability uh, is kind of the same thing. So like, okay, what is the most important thing here? Well, the most important is to, to have Viable uh, human populations. Well, what what is the biggest threat to that viability? Human well, populations. Extreme extreme inequality mm-hmm. is, is being proven to be a threat. Hmm. Okay. Well, where is that coming from? Well, it comes from social, political, and economic vulnerability of certain groups. Okay. Well, what are the main threats to the social, political, and economic vulnerability? And then you keep working down to say, okay. Well, this is one way that we can all. Create public actions instead of investment in public goods okay. that will protect everybody from additional levels of vulnerability because you are protecting the economic infrastructure, etc., etc., et, cetera, et, cetera, et cetera. So, and you are giving the the more vulnerable uh, members of of the the human population side a, a a chance to participate in the benefits of that instead of becoming a burden to everybody else.
1: Okay. So values, let's go back to that real quick. We each probably have similar values here at this school and we're going to carry them forward, hopefully. Are we carrying them into a world that isn't going to dilute them?
0: Of course we are. But that is the, that's what we need to work every day, right, on, on, on consolidating and strengthening our convictions. Because they will be constant threats and constant challenges to the trade-off between our values and our material well-being, and and we all make choices every day on on what side of that uh, proposition we want to fall. Instead of I want to save myself, and then I mean materially, and and have a life of of affluence. Right. The that will uh, come back and make me question how I got there or I want to live a life that is consistent with my convictions and then say okay what is the best I can do materially within the framework of my convictions and that is a chance that we every day we make multiple decisions big and small regarding that because I
1: mean I'm not the only one thinking this these days I look at the world out there I look at the places where money is concentrated, mm-hmm. you know, Wall Street or even giant USAID, mm-hmm. World Bank, these are these are the largest concentrations of money in the world aside from individual owners of goodness knows what corporations, Microsoft, mm-hmm. Apple, Amazon, things like that. I look at that and I see, you know, there are, you could look at any one of those places and find a position that fits your values mm-hmm. by its job description, even by the title, mm-hmm. But in the end, if you're working in those systems, these systems um, sort of, I mean, Amazon pays its workers and treats its workers not, you know, pretty badly, according to evidence that exists now. And you look at Apple, are they affecting change in China where their phones are being assembled? Not really. They're getting some higher pay, but is, is that changing anything? Is the World Bank changing anything by investing in Myanmar? Probably not. Are they changing things for the better? Maybe by giving more power access. But are they doing anything about the genocide? No. They're not calling it one because that would be too politically activating. Mm -hmm. So I look at all these systems and I wonder, if I go out there with the intention of making a life for myself, is there a way to make a living, be comfortable? You know, this is what our parents wanted for us. They Mm -hmm. wanted us to have better lives than they did. Mm -hmm. I know. I mean, my dad's life, he is basically broke now I am I owe more money than I'll probably make in the next 20 years if I <laughs> I, don't, I don't money isn't a priority for me personally mm-hmm. I know that I have debts I need to pay those off because that's the law mm-hmm. uh, and also it's a moral obligation to exactly. yeah, acquire. Sure. exactly I was given you're... these things and I have to pay yeah. it back mm-hmm. some people have talked about using public service as a way to not just wait 10 years and then get a little loan forgiveness, but say you go work for three years in public service, your debts are wiped. Mm-hmm. And you know, Where?
0: We don't know if that will sure. continue, right? Yeah.
1: I mean, th- these are just ideas being mm-hmm. thrown out there, but that, it's that compromise of values that I wonder about because the systems out there really... like The concentration of money isn't changing. Are they really redistributing any kind of wealth mm-hmm. through their operations? Are you if you go work as a program evaluator, changing anything on the large scale, maybe on a small scale, but it takes the, yeah, a lot the, of people. Yeah,
0: the, the systems are tremendously complex. The, the, I, I think that the, the calculation that we all have to engage in and say like, okay, ha, what what exactly this action that I'm about to take will compromise my moral well-being instead of a yeah I, I, i'm going to have any sort of conflict when i drive down you know highway one in a in a very expensive car mm-hmm. and, and I, i'm going to have any discomfort in thinking that 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 i that got that car but that costed other people mm-hmm. a chance of doing something or or i circumvented rules so how comfortable we all are with with that type of concessions that we may want or be willing to make in order to acquire material uh, benefits Mm. and and that when you are comfortable with yourself morally and ethically you may b- borrow money to do things, whatever. When you are rich and you feel that you are morally and ethically bankrupt, there's nobody that can lend you mm. the equivalent of the value of your moral <laughs> bankruptcy. Yeah. So you choose. We we don't tell people what to choose. We we help them um, manifest their values. But their values are theirs. As I said, we we don't indoctrinate people here, but. By exposing them to ways that people have dealt with these problems since Socrates on, probably before, but we don't have any records, Um, we help them be aware of the consequences of the decisions that they're going to make, both professionally and personally. And, And I think that on that, I feel very comfortable doing what we do here and challenging everybody, all the members of our community, you know, not just the students, yeah. but faculty and staff, and, and everybody constantly to challenge their, the, the direction that their moral compass is pointing them into. And you say, okay, are you going to be able to live with yourself after you do that? Yeah. And, that, and then you, the answer is for you and for you alone, you can you, say, yeah, yeah I'll, be, I'll be fine with that. <clears throat> and you say, okay. So be it. That, that's great. But if you're going to do that, make it with your eyes wide open. Don't, don't yeah. hide and don't pretend that this doesn't exist. Because it will come back and it's going to hunt you indefinitely. <laughs> you're, you cannot shake that off. I really... That, that's a... This interview is worth
1: it for that little chunk alone. Um, there's one thing I want to do before we wrap up. And I want to okay. ask you... What questions you're asking yourself these days, so when you get to your desk in the morning, mm-hmm. when you finish work at the end of the day
0: a, it doesn't feel like finished, but sure of course well that's that's good it's it's not No. <laughs> uh, what what questions are guiding your work these days um, many along the same lines that that um that we talk about this morning say, okay can we reach those audiences that we have not mm-hmm. been reaching and if the answer is yes how and and or do i know how to do that uh, or do we know collectively how to do that and and how we should proceed in order to achieve those goals one thing that we're doing and uh, we already announced this in, in every possible way, and, and groups that we participated. I'm working with Laura Burian, who was appointed uh, dean of the other academic unit, to m- maximize the not the operational efficiency, although we're doing that as, as managers, um, but the the real integration of, of these communities and we're doing that in every single conversation, in every single decision that we make and say, okay, how, that, that, this thing that I'm about to do helps that process or not? And okay, can I make it help more? Uh, so we, we are making small decisions in, in our sphere of influence to, to eliminate or reduce drastically the, the, the impediments, for, for this to become for a much more integrated uh, organization. But, but w- we probably have different views on this. I, I think that there are tremendous uh, synergies and, and operational efficiencies that we can gain by doing that and meaning we can do what we're doing much better if we do it, not just doing it much cheaper. That, that I may or may not be fully concerned about that, but do it better. And better will be better overall, including the financial dimension of it. Um, So those are the questions that I'm asking myself. Can can we really fully achieve our mission beyond just the mission being posted somewhere and then doing something else, which Mm -hmm. doesn't please me at all? You say, okay, can we actually do this? And one thing that that I've been saying have you guys read the mission? Yeah. Most people haven't. He said, he talks about the education of professionals. It mm-hmm. doesn't say anything about certificates or master's degrees or dual degrees or master's degrees with a specialization. It doesn't say any of that. So we could stop doing that tomorrow and do something that yeah. has to do with education of professionals and still be, you know, uh, right on in fulfilling our mission. So the, there are lots of mythological creatures that have grown in, in this uh, environment over the, whatever, 60-something years mm. of existence of the institution that that may have been very valid back then and not so valid now. And, and we need to keep challenging ourselves to fulfill our true mission, it's which is that. Not it's not sort of the education of, of professionals with a... With, with an enhanced social fiber and moral fiber. Hmm. And we can achieve that in you know, many, many different ways. We've been achieving it in a particular way and say like, okay, can we do more of that, achieve even more of that using the mission as our guiding principle. Let the goal be the goal. Now, if we collectively decide that we want to do something else, okay, let's get together, we define what that something else is, and then I'm going to help to achieve that. But as of right now, that is what we need to achieve. All right. Excellent. All right. Fernando, thank you very much. No, thank you. The thing is, most people don't want to hear this. (laughs) Well, because there's at least one because the um, people are comfortable with the way things had been for them. But again, in many cases, are just that. The fat is right in the sinking ship. And if they fail to see that, then, then a- and instead of just, you know, making the gush smaller, they're, they're turning the Titanic to hit the iceberg head on. And so, like, okay, are you, are you sure of that? Because I'm not exactly... Convinced that you can see the consequences of those things. Is, is that what we all want to do? If that is the case, yeah, sure, let's let's keep going that way. But I don't think so. So that that is the kind of the institutional conflicts that that exist in any, in any organization. Yeah. We're not special in any way. We're not better. We're not worse. We're just maybe a little different, but probably not. We we just you know whatever. <laughs> the the yes case, you know unhappy families, right? Instead of Happy families are all happy in the same way. Unhappy families are all unhappy in different ways. Right. We are we're failing just like all the other institutions are failing in our own way, but not worse and not better than them. But those conflicts exist everywhere, and, and that is that. Those are the interesting fights that that we have to to confront, and they, we cannot avoid them. And now there are a structural things that we need to rethink, absolutely, in, in order to continue achieving our mission, you know, for another 65 or 70 years. Yeah. God. It's not that hard. I mean, it it sounds... It's intimidating. It it is intimidating.
3: Special thanks to Fernando for sitting down with me for the third time. Obviously, third time was the charm. And, of course, thanks goes to Caitlin Shepard, a.k.a. Binkadink the sweet tunes that provided a soundtrack to this podcast stay tuned guys we're gonna have a lot more cool stuff this semester and next semester we're gonna have stuff ranging from intersectionality of identity with our friends at queer and allies of Mist to tribal ecological knowledge geopolitics in china and india language and identity uh, veterans panel from the military americorps peace corps We'll also have a series on homelessness and affordable housing that includes interviews with local city council and mayoral candidates for Monterey and much more. So if you have any ideas, feel free to send me an email at gbsanders at miss.edu. I will be happy to help you make it a reality. That's what Miss Radio is all about, getting all of our perspectives on all the issues that matter to us. So your participation in this is the whole point. Thank you for listening back soon.